Welcome everybody to another episode of season five of the Collective Table podcast, Songs of Summer. Today we are talking with page 16. Did I get the... 116. Yeah, either page 116 or you could say page CXVI. Either way is fine. I'm revealing my lack of knowledge in reading Roman numerals here. (laughs) It is kind of an odd name. You know, I I tend to choose names that are very difficult to understand and pronounce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So today we're talking with Latifa. Welcome and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, this is great. So just to kick off this episode, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. I have been working in music. Um, I say I made my very first album when I was 21, my senior year of college. I learned to make records by making records. So the first like five or six are really terrible sounding. And <laughs> I'm still kind of, you know, figuring out my voice and figuring out how to write, figuring out how to record, finding my voice and metaphorically um, as well. I had a band called The Autumn Film that came before Page CXVI that was just kind of a rock, pop rock trio um, where we played all the bars and clubs and all the places you can imagine and um, did a lot of gritty van touring through my 20s and early 30s. So love it. Page CXVI kind of sprung up organically. Uh, we were on the road and, you know, bar gigs and stuff like that. You're lucky to make two to $300 a night for three people. That's like not very much to sustain life on. And so we just kind of started kind of asking by word of mouth through friends when we go through cities, like, hey, does your church, like, does your worship pastor want to break? We're here and we love to play some some music for you. And and I originally, uh, my dad was actually Muslim. He was from Yemen. And my mom kind of got like saved watching the 700 Club when I was a baby with Pat Robertson. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so bizarre. Wow. So we kind of grew up going to church with mom, my sister and I, and we kind of started at this all Chinese charismatic church because my mom could play the piano there and it was really close to our house. When I was about 12, we switched to an all white five point Calvinist Presbyterian church, which was really different from the Asian charismatic experience. Yeah. That is where I first got exposed to hymnody and hymns. And so when we were kind of leading worship all over the country, fast forward back to page TXVI, I was looking for songs that I liked at the time. And current kind of CCM, like contemporary Christian music, never really rang my bells. And so I just kind of found these hymns and that I had grown up singing and said, well, why don't we just kind of do it in the format that we do our stuff in, you know? And so it just kind of started to happen where people would ask us to make records or like record what we were doing. Next thing you know, over a course of like two or three years, Pace GXVI kind of consumed our time. We got a lot more requests and we made a lot of records. There's 13 Pace GXVI albums. The band itself disintegrated, golly, maybe about five or six years ago, maybe even more than that now. I'm so bad with time. I feel like COVID sucked up all my time math. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, but I just kept making records. Like I, the all record is an ex- really the, which is the song we'll be talking about is from that record. That is really a record I did with myself and my co-producer, Dave Wilton. Did you start playing or singing or did th- your love of music start young? Were you a, a child when it came into you? It sounds like your mom was a pianist. Yes, she was also a vocalist in college, and then she ended up becoming a speech therapist. But I started like kind of um, mimicking by ear piano with her at two years old. And then I started the Suzuki music program, which is a classical violin and cello program Mm -hmm. um, at three. And then I switched to cello at four, um, competed 
with cello till I was about 15. Wow. Classically. And then quit because I was like, I want to play sports and be cool in high school, which now I wish I would have just stayed. And then picked up acoustic because everybody was doing that. And like leading worship felt like really fun to do like a youth group and those things. And so, yeah, I've been playing music as long as I can remember. It's been a source of comfort, a place for me to explore all those feelings that sometimes can be really hard to access with just language. I've always found sound to be something that like really connects me to the creator and to the things that feel mysterious and unexplainable, but unavoidable and still need room for expression. I honestly, I think making music is the best job in the whole world. And I'm so grateful to get to be a part of it and have some roles in it. That's amazing. And it's good. To, it's so wonderful to hear that because um, my guess is the music industry can also be very overwhelming and frustrating and depressing at the same time. In the garden of belief, every season comes where where do you where are you right now in your faith journey? What does it look like now? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's a lot more expansive. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly less certain. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I you know, the truth is I really love people and I have found so many sources of home and friends and relationships and kinship and healing. And as I've gotten older, I'm 40 now, I've made relationships, some of them have lasted over 20 or 30 years, that are tend to be people who have unfortunately been ostracized or marginalized in the church space. And a lot of them have had to leave. And if I'm being like totally candid, Please. I have been dancing on that boundary of leaving pretty comfortably <laughs> for yeah. the last um, four or five years. Yep. So my kind of line I have come up with, because I'm like, I, I need to figure out a way to communicate this. It's not perfect. But I would say to some people, they would still see me as Christian. And to some people, they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But their perspective in some ways is a bit irrelevant to me, because I still really, I believe in the divine source of God. I believe in the feminine and masculine representation of the divine as like a equally balanced which is something we have such a hard time fathoming yep. in our world because of the way that our systems have been set up. And I also just believe that everyone's welcome at the table and that God has a tremendous amount of patience and grace as we learn the lessons we're learning in order to draw nearer and stay connected to God, to earth, to each other, and to ourselves. And I kind of always fall back on the greatest commandment. It's like my favorite thing, because I think that ultimately it really comes back to that. Like, I feel like what God was saying is that like, the source of pain and suffering is about disconnection. Mm-hmm. So like disconnection from God, disconnection from ourselves, disconnection from our neighbor, from life, earth, creation. When we have a disconnection in that flow and that cycle and circle of life, their pain and trauma like occur. And that makes so much sense to me. And then we just add all this other stuff that like really frustrates me. <laughs> so, who's in, who's out or, or why they're in or out or like, 
I went through a, a public divorce. I made it public after I was ready to. I didn't do it like right in the beginning. About five years ago, this December is when it finalized. And I felt really strongly about creating content around that. So Moda Spira's second record is called Divorce. And there's an accompanying podcast that walks through their album and discusses the grieving process. And divorce is just the vehicle to discuss grief because it's kind of what we were doing. I also have no shame, nor do I still, about getting divorced. It was such a healthy, good decision for me. And I believe for my ex-husband, but you know, it was painful. It, it was a hard marriage. And I think that my unashamed petitioning that God doesn't hate divorce, but God hates abuse and dysfunction made other people really uncomfortable in other ways. <laughs> so I, you know, experience like Richard War says, has definitely been the front wheel of my tricycle. And I would be pretending if it wasn't. And it's absolutely informed my belief system as it's changed and needed to change in order to continue to make room for the stories in my life and the stories in the people's lives that I love without feeling like I'm having to self-betray my intuition or what my body's saying or or those things. That is such a long answer, Dana, to what you're saying, but like everything you said was just powerful. And thank you for putting word to it and voicing it and sharing it because, and there's a lot to unpack, which we won't be able to unpack all today, but wow. Yeah. One, thank you for naming your, you know, affirming stance. And, and, yeah. and then also, I also uh, went through a divorce years ago, like 20 some years ago Okay. and had a crisis of faith at that point. Yeah. And it was, I, my faith really shifted and, and I'm grateful, but I know exactly where you are. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for sharing some of your story too. It is funny how like things change, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life is ever changing. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, I can either like cement myself into the ground and say, I am not moving, even though my life is moving and changing. Or I can actually go with the flow of what's happening and say like, instead of fighting this current, what if I trusted that it's taking me somewhere, you know? Yeah. And I... I really like that idea. I like the intentionality and the the idea of being held in the current, which like can be so frustrating if you're trying to fight against it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It feels like your enemy. But if you go with it, it feels like something that's holding you and like carrying you through. Mm-hmm. And it's such a different experience. I definitely fought the current in times of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it's exhausting. Amen. You probably gave so many people, you know, permission to either, you know, step out of a abusive relationship or come out or, you know, be more open with yeah. being affirming. That's that's so powerful. I appreciate that. I will say I, I waited a whole year before I went public because I do think it's important to not publicly air the current trauma, yes, right? right? Because that can kind of compound more trauma. So I waited until I was like incredibly ready to mm-hmm. like say the things I knew I could say. I'm glad I did that. I, I even waited six months to start really writing songs because the first six months of songs was like me screaming at the piano. I mean, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> it's a necessary yeah. part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. Everything must die. I would love to, for us to talk about the song in in the garden. So, yeah. When I first saw that we were interviewing you on this song, my I immediately went to the hymn in the garden. 
I feel like every funeral I've ever been to, I grew up Southern Baptist. So that was always the song. And so I was expecting to hear that. And it was totally different, even better. So, So tell us about In the Garden. There's actually no connection to the to the actual hymn. I just wrote a song and then called it In the Garden and then discovered there was a popular hymn called In the Garden. Very, very different. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about this most recent Page Six VI record is the majority of the songs are original songs that I wrote. And I think I only do two, two or three um, hymn recalls. But I redid this record three times over three years because my faith was evolving and changing and expanding. And so I was really struggling with how to put something out that felt current to me and that I felt I could put out and feel great about and sing the songs and not freak out. And so this song came out really organically. I I remember I went to an event that people were singing and then people kind of just sort of naturally started doing spontaneous kind of worship stuff. All the worship pronouns were masculine. And that was really, it just pulled me out. I don't mind masculine pronouns, but I love to see the balance of the feminine pronoun and the acknowledgement. I wasn't like mad at anybody. I just was like, I think it's time for me to go. And so I left and I pulled into the grocery store parking lot and I um, messaged, audio messaged my friend Audrey and I just started weeping. And I said, I think my faith died tonight. I think I might be done. (laughs) I don't, it feels sad because it's something that I've had since I was like five years old, you know? So I just kind of left a sobbing message. And then she messaged me back um, later that night and said, you can go get coffee tomorrow. And I was like, totally. We go and get coffee. And she was like, what if you just let it die? So let it die, let it die, let it die. She was like, I found that if you just don't fight it, that something else will grow back. But like, usually before something can grow back, something has to die. Then you have to like do some weed pulling, clear out till the soil, and then just see what see what's planted there next, see what seeds fell. And so I was an avid gardener, gardener in Colorado. So I love the garden metaphor. It really was a healing uh, hobby for me to grow food and grow plants. And so I, I thought a lot about it. And the song just kind of like came out of my conversation with her. I really love it. I, I, For me, it made space on the record for kind of where I am spiritually and where some people find themselves in the course of their life of uncertainty, doubt, confusion, grief, sadness, anger, rage, and then like being able to let something go and then see what could come back. And you know what I do love um, that it, that is in the Christian story is a death and resurrection cycle. I think that we see that pattern in nature everywhere. We see that pattern in other culture storytelling as well. I just think life and death are intrinsically connected. Like they belong to each other and they serve each other. And we're so afraid of death in Western culture. Like my dad was from Yemen and they're not afraid to talk about death. My mom would always say that all Arabs are fatalist. And like, I definitely have a part of that in me. But like, we hide our old elderly community because we don't want to think about dying. We avoid people who are sick because we don't want to think about dying. And we have all these myths and ideas in our culture about eternal youth and staying looking young. And I think it's all a massive fear maneuver because we are just trying to avoid what is inevitable and trying to fight. We're fighting the river. Help me lay down what's dead so it's new resurrects. Let it die, let it die. 
And my guess is my faith will die again and come back as something else. And, you know, something changed in me after divorce. And then some more things like grew back. It was about making space. So yeah, this song is, it's a lament, but it's also like, it's more than that. It's like, it's like self-expression for needed air in my lungs. I I, I don't even know how else to say it. Like it helped heal me Mm. and I'm so glad it exists. It's so liberating when Christians talk about salvation. I think that's closer to any kind of form of salvation than anything else I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Currently, death is is definitely a topic for me. My mom it was diagnosed with terminal cancer and is in the process now. And so, and I actually took a death, dying, and bereavement course about a year ago, and I'm getting ready to do clinical pastoral education. And you said it absolutely perfectly. In Western culture, we do not like to talk about death, but yet death happens to all of us. And because of death, there is new life. And that's what I saw in your song. I saw a lament, but I saw a hope. And it was just those holding those two things. It's like, we've gotten to a point where everything has to be this or that. It can't be and and both. And, and the yeah. and and the both go together because they feed and they, they, they feed, they nurture, they love one another. And, and I saw that in your song and it reminded me my favorite verse in Revelation. And it says, see, I'm making all things new. Not I made, not I will make. I'm always making, always making, like we're always making. Things are dying and we're making. Things are dying and we're making. Dana, that's so well said. And I just want to say too, I'm so sorry about your mom. I lost my dad to cancer 14 years ago this July. And it's, it's, it's a bitch. Yeah. It's really hard. It's, It's a bitch. And it's like, but I'm glad you get to be with her and I'm glad that you're not running from it. Nope. You know? Nope. No. When I went through my divorce and I really had to redo my theology or to your point, I was done. I was walking out the door. I'm like, I'm done with Christianity because if it can't hold me here, it can't ever hold me. And I had a, a wise spiritual mentor, the first female pastor I had ever experienced in my life. And she really reoriented me. You know, she has said to me about death that it's it's really death is fine because we're moving into eternal love. All it is is eternal love, and we're thinking about it as love. Boy, it changes the narrative quite a bit. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. I've been thinking a lot lately about what it means that death is so much bigger than just mm. our idea of like the death of the body. You know, you you talk about the death of your faith, the the cycles of death and resurrection in our life. When we talk about it, we we have to see beyond dying in our bodies. Yeah. And that, like you said, that gives us such a bigger vision for our, for our lives and, and for our spirituality as well. Help me to keep this heart open. Now that I'm looking at it, one of the verses you said, help me to keep my heart open. And now that I hear your story about how this came to be, like I was like wondering what was going on with, in her life. When she wrote this, <laughs> yeah. right? But you're still asking, help me to get like this faith, this part of my faith may be dying, but you're still asking, help me keep my heart open, help my heart to be ready. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the idea of like, I still want the soil to grow things. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't want it to be like scorched and I'm on this other podcast and one of the hosts, Becky, always talks about tov and ra. Um, They're the Hebrew words used. Ra is just nothing regenerates. I didn't want ra 
you know, I wanted something to regenerate. I was just open to it being something I didn't know yet or that I couldn't control. I'm so grateful because like, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm in this place where I'm seeing things sprout, but I'm not exactly sure what plant it is yet or what kind of fruit it will bear. Something's there, you know, it's pretty cool, you know. I love her. Don't shut me out of this One of the lyrics that stood out to me, you say, don't, you talk about, don't shut me out of this garden. I'm curious about where, where that's coming from, or if you're singing to any, any person or, or thing in, in particular. I'll be super blunt about it. It's definitely directed towards the part of the Christian community mm-hmm. that doesn't know how to make room for others in process, mm-hmm. in transition, in doubt, in questioning, and, and basically in communities that they don't understand or are afraid of. And so I've definitely observed in my own life as I have, like, I talk a lot about like the center of the circle being like, if you have majority culture in the West and in America and in Christianity, the center of the circle does tend to be more white, more hetero, a certain economic status, a certain education status. And so if you're not, and generally it's like married with 2.5 kids too, if we want to talk about that as well. If you don't fit some of those molds, you kind of creep out to the outer edges of the circle. And then sometimes you're totally out of the circle if you're like in outer space. Yeah. And so there's just so much about my body, you know, being a brown woman and then being a divorced woman, you know, until now at 40, being a woman without children who also was okay not having children. Um, if that wasn't in my story, I was going to make family other ways. And like, I just kind of kept getting kicked yeah. out, you know, of the edges of the circle. And I realized that it was really exhausting trying to be something I could never Mm -hmm, be and that I wasn't made to be, you know, homogeny is not like, in my opinion, the most interesting end result of community. You know, as I've gotten older, really embraced the things about myself that used to make me feel alienated. And so, yeah, I think that don't shut me out is a, it's a plea. It's not so much like pointed as it is like a, don't shut me out. There's something here in our difference. There's something here in the expansion of how how our stories are apart from each other, but also connect in certain ways too. And at the end of the day, it's like, I'm not really like angry at somebody who's like maybe mad at me for not being the exact kind of Christian they'd like me to be because I love my music or whatever it is. It's more like, I have compassion for you because I, I really am just like, I remember what that was like crave the certainty to feel safe, feel included. And that's like, ultimately, I think what drives us is we want, we want, we don't want to be ostracized and we want to be accepted by our community. And I don't blame people for that. I want, I want that still. I still take part in this kind of offshoot group called the Porter's Gate, which is like a, you know, a a random, amazing group of human beings who write songs for the church and I love them. I will always want to show up when they're making records because they have put their money where their mouth is when it comes to everyone's welcome at the table. I have been totally undisclosed in myself with all Mm. of them. Talk to them how about blood language and atonement really stresses me out now. Mm. So I can't, I can't do that, but I can talk about love right now. Like, and they, they're like, okay, so when I'm in the room and we're writing, we do songs on that. And then when they want to talk about blood, somebody else is in the room and writing. And that's cool. Like, if you need blood, I get it. But like, <laughs> it's just, it's not, it's not currently where I am. Like, I'm, 
I'm rebuilding major blocks, yeah. you know, of, of thought in myself. So like, man, I, I love those human beings. And I always tell them when I leave, like, you guys are keeping me interested in this Christianity thing. Like if I'm being totally straight with you and like even talking with you two, it's like, I feel this, I feel a kinship that's compelling to me. And I feel a kinship with people who like are atheists and have had to walk away from church altogether as well. Because at the end of the day, I just am interested in people who really display the fruit of the spirit. Mm, if we're going to like talk about Bible stuff, <laughs> I just love patience and kindness and generosity and self-control. And like, I can get on that gravy train all right. day long. I'm so glad to hear that about poor. That's great. That's very good that you have that space. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in the yeah. evangelical, a lot of Christian circles, there's this idea and distinction of, you hear a lot of language that talks about believers and non-believers. You know, people will say, oh, I'm a believer. Are you a believer? Or, you know, this person's a non-believer. And I, I think that's so tragic. And I think that's really tied up to that part of that temptation to want that security yes. and like cert- certainty for yourself and for others and creating this in-group, out-group. And what's so tragic to me about it and sad is that the church is missing out. Oh, yeah. When yeah. you automatically distinguish people as as non-believers, it's like you're missing out on this person who like has has beautiful gifts and not in a way that you want to like use them for for the betterment of yourself or even for the church, but like the world, just, yeah. just for the, the world. Yeah. 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 Claire, that is such a good point. Like I I don't have a massive amount of regret in my life, but one of my biggest regrets was, you know, my dad died when I was 26. I remember very early on being in church and people at like as five years old, six years old, people telling me, your dad's going to go to hell because he's Muslim Mm -hmm. and he's lost or he's blind or he's a non-believer, an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. It's these kind of big terms that I didn't even really start to piece together until I was older, that it really, at the end of the day, made me not respect my father. I was I was an obedient, good kid. Like I, I was a rule follower, right? So I didn't outwardly like do anything really nasty or anything like that. His opinion didn't carry as much weight because he was lost or he was blind or he didn't see. He didn't have this like, Jesus wasn't holding the wheel. You know what I mean? And so like, I think that it, it really drove like something between him and I, which was so unfortunate. And yeah it caused us a lot of pain. Like, I think we were both doing the best we could. You know, when he died, I had an actual vision of him in an able body because he wasn't really in an able body running towards a source of light Mm. and love. It was so palpable. Like, and I saw it with my waking eyes. And it's really interesting when you're with someone who takes her last breath is very obvious what the last breath is. And there is a moment where he now becomes the body. We feel the soul exit the body. And it it no longer becomes him or dad. Like it becomes the body, dad and him, the soul is now on its way, wherever it's going. Yeah. I love the entering eternal love. I mean, that's definitely what it felt like. You know, that really pulled a thread. When he got sick, that was the first thread on hell for me, to be honest. It was the thread started getting pulled. And I was like, oh, there's so much more that we don't understand. You know, I'm so grateful for all the threads that have been pulled by experience and by the love I have for somebody whose story is different than mine, who needs threads to be pulled in order to exist. But yeah, I just, I think that like everything changes in those moments. I think that people's fixation and obsession with like getting a proclamation of faith out of people, especially when people are close to death. I think it's so self-serving. Oh, yes. Also considering like, you know, the state of mind people are in 
towards the end of their life. That's, I don't imagine that's what people are thinking about saying these certain words or, or saying this certain right. prayer. Yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah, about that's your dad. So good. We want to make sure that we find out what what's going on with you next. How can people, you know, stay connected to you, access your music, just make sure you get all that information yeah. out there. Yeah. So um, if people are interested in the page CXVI or page 116, but if on Spotify, it's spelled out Roman numerals. All the socials are page CXVI, all the places you can find the music and the YouTube videos and all those things. You will definitely see a shift in theology from record one through 12 into record 13, <laughs> which is the all record. But, you know, good for you. You can like whatever you like. And then I love my project Moda Spira. It's M-O-D-A-S-P-I-R-A. And there's a self-titled album and then the album called Divorce. And mm. musically, it's some of the stuff I'm most proud of. And I'm working on some new content for that right now. So if people want to see what I'm actively doing, that's a good place to follow me. And then if people are interested on the other projects I'm just working on, like with other artists, because I love the artists I get to work with, I am the Latifa on Instagram. And then Porter's Gate, I just will always plug because I think it's a great amalgamation of human beings. And they're putting out a song about earth and creation that's coming out in, I believe, June. And they're always putting out, there's a Lament record, a Justice record, a Work Songs record. Some really wonderful songwriters are a part of that group. A lot of, it's a real collective effort. Finding people that are willing to, to, to wrestle and mm -hmm. talk about their truth and what's going on. You know, that's really important for our message and, and making sure that other people hear that. So we appreciate your vulnerability and authenticity in that space. We will talk to you soon. This is yes. not the last conversation. Bye. Bye. Be alright. Be alright. Be alright. There's a door.